your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Thursday of Lacrosse Talk PM. Guy just said it, but I muscle memory say it again. 608-785-7914, the talk and text line. You got questions, I won't have the answers, but you can ask them. We, we see what happens. Uh, halftime, State Football Championship, Division Five. Aquinas versus Mayville. Aquinas undefeated this season, up 16-14. to 14. One of the things I never got to do is uh, go deep into the playoffs in high school football because I broke my leg. So it was uh, kind of sad. My senior year, we were pretty good. We were a pretty good team. Got uh, I think we won a couple of playoff games, and I broke my leg, and, and then I kind of, I don't remember. It's all it was all a long time ago now. But glory days football is always fun when, especially when you get a team that you're a little bit invested in. You know, Aquinas being obviously from Lacrosse, you get invested in these things, even if you're from just outside the area, because it's cool to see these teams uh, go to. I mean, the state championship to play on camp, on the field at Camp Randall. I mean, it's got it's got to be amazing. Uh, I think it's a little bit cooler than going to state basketball as a as myself as a basketball junkie going to state basketball and playing at the Kohl Center. I just think it's it, it's cooler to, to the idea of going to play at Camp Randall. But it would be really cool if we did state football at Lambeau Field. Like how amazing would that be? <laughs> or state basketball at the Fiserv Forum at the Buck Stadium. Especially now, as you know, obviously the the Packers lose to get to the Super Bowl every year. It seems like um, the Bucks coming off a NBA championship. Man, I, maybe we should uh, we should start asking the WIA what's up with that. Let's go play. Um, and then and then on the girls' side, volleyball is in Green Bay. I don't know if that's the greatest. <laughs> like, why wouldn't we? I would want to as a as a volleyball player. I would want to play. At at the barn, I believe the the women's the the, the Madison uh, Badgers volleyball team plays at the barn because that's where I would want to play. It's the barn, but I mean the Badgers are top five team in the nation every year in volleyball. If you didn't know that, breaking news. Uh, play in Minnesota next week to wrap up the regular season, and Minnesota's top ten as well. Uh, but yeah, that'd be really cool. I just it's it's. it's so it, it just hits me a little bit when when a, a team that we have a vested interest in gets to Camp Randall, gets to a state championship. Uh, they do it a little different in Minnesota. They get to play at the Viking Stadium, and they get or well, they did the Gopher Stadium for a while, but they play at the Viking Stadium for two rounds. So you even get the state semifinal at the Viking Stadium, which is is awesome. But it, it depletes it a little bit, but also gives more opportunity for those kids to get on that field, right? And they go and just go back to uh, the the idea of of being able to play on Lambeau Field would be pretty incredible, pretty incredible. Just think about it, playing on Lambeau Field. Um, looks like Aquinas is is throwing their way uh, so far, and Mayville is just just. Depending Mayville playing Aquinas in the, at Camp Randall right now. Mayville down sixteen to fourteen to Aquinas. Flotmeyer for Aquinas has got one hundred fifty yards passing, a touchdown, and an interception. He's eleven for seventeen. These are good numbers. And Mayville's quarterback is one for two for twelve yards with an interception. So he's kind of two for two. 
but they they have a running back who's already had 22 carries. He's got 125 yards and two touchdowns. So it looks like if Aquinas can just stop this running back, then the uh, they can pull it out over Mayville. And if you want to listen to that instead of me ranting about it, Drew Kelly's on WKTY calling the game right now. And you can watch the game. I, what you should do is watch a game on whatever station if you're in lacrosse, and then you can listen to me in the background, right? No, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> kind of like kind of like when you listen to Larry McCarron and Wayne Larravee do the Packers games, but you on the radio, you, you do that, right, on Sundays, but you turn the TV volume down so you can watch the game. My parents do that. I did that when I was little. Um, still do that. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> when I'm watching, I don't always watch the game live. Don't always watch Packer game live. Um, anyway, so what's going on besides that? I'm going to talk to Tim Dale. He's the UW lacrosse political science professor. There's a study. They did a study and had some pretty awesome numbers about voter turnout among students at UW lacrosse. And we'll get into that a little bit. But then, you know, we'll deep dive into politics. Because if I'm going to have a political science professor on, I'm going to ask him not about Halloween candy. We do that with Jagoski because we had a pretty good relationship. I haven't talked to Tim too much. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what kind of trouble we can get him into uh, when it comes to politics. And um, this the study, too. The, the voter turnout at UW Lacrosse for the 2020 election was uh, never higher. So that's that's pretty good base to start on. And then we can get into, I think we'll get into, you know, the divisiveness of politics where we're at and why um, why you don't like me as Republicans out there and uh, why you think I might not like you. I get pegged as a Democrat, but really just a healthcare, universal healthcare guy, whoever wants to do that. Also, I saw that there was a, a somebody federally, so I thought, I can't remember if it was Congress or Senate, a Republican proposed a uh you know legalizing marijuana bill man if republicans want to win office just do that (laughs) just do that it's all over it's all over whoever decides then we're going to go all in on legalizing marijuana um that might be a way to go um anyway tim dale uw lacrosse coming up we'll be back brad's got to do the news all right welcome back to lacrosse talk pm 608 785-7914 785-7914 is the talk and text line. Tim Dale is on with me, UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor. He's been doing that since 2012. Tim, I didn't bring this up, and um, maybe I should have. Uh, sometimes we get questions uh, on the text, and sometimes people call. Do you, if, if somebody has a political question, do you do you want to take it free? You know, without. Are you good with that? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's roll. Um, all right, so anyone wants to call and got got some political questions? Because we want to get into you a little bit. I want to talk about this the, the news that you released with voting in the 2020 election at UW-Lacrosse, but also a little bit of uh, talking about the divide that this country seems to be, this divide between the left and the right, I'll just say, because I don't know if it's, it's, it's really singularly Republicans and Democrats. I feel like it's just more, I don't even know if it's the left and the right, because... Um, if you, if we, if we all got together and talked it out for, for the most part i think we would we would see eye to eye on most things if you if you kicked politics out of it but uh but this divide keeps growing it does it not it does and actually i think what you're talking about is that um, uh, americans have a lot of agreement on basic political values so if you ask people general questions about what they're committed to everybody wants freedom everybody wants equality 
everybody wants the rule of law. So you have these big areas of agreement. You actually don't find that wide range of agreement in other countries as we have in the United States. But then where we do disagree is on how we negotiate that in government, how it is that we establish a government that respects those things. So ironically, Americans are a lot closer together than a lot of people think if we took an entire picture of world politics. Uh, But it's in those details that Americans go really divided and are particularly divided right now. Are those details are are, are those details perpetuated by um, the the are they are they intentionally perpetuated by politicians to kind of create a divide? Do you think this is like conspiracy theory stuff? But is our government trying to divide us? Well, so I, I don't think that they're trying to divide us. I think we have a political system that's designed to divide us, and this actually would have to be blamed on the founding fathers and our Constitution, which I'm happy to talk about. <laughs> but um, we have a politics that is intentionally divided because we want to have a fight in government. We want to have a system where people battle out their differences um, in a democratic system. So it's kind of the design of our system to be dysfunctional, so to speak. We want a politics that's divided. Um, but I think where the division becomes really pronounced for a lot of people is how negative our campaigns are. Uh, but even that is, tends to go uh, in a cycle. So people might remember races between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney and Obama and McCain. And um, th- during that time, there actually were a lot of students in my classes who would say things like, I don't see a difference between these two political parties. These candidates are too similar to each other. Um, and we might even remember those races. We thought they were competitive or contentious, but they actually weren't compared to what we're seeing now. Um, so I think we end up going through cycles. And I think what we're seeing right now is a particularly divisive politics. And yeah, you're right. It does have to do with the candidates who are running. Um, particularly candidates kind of from the the further uh, either right or left in their party, um, that that tends to kind of challenge or um, uh, galvanize the dialogue. To me, it's kind of funny, too, because, you know, we, we have a, a, a Democrat for a president. So on the right, he's I don't know, these these trigger words. It seems like we're getting more and more trigger words uh, in socialism is like the go to for anyone. Um, but do you do you see that as as, as as a growing? I don't know if it's a problem, but do you see that as growing? Do we get more more of these div- divisive uh, critical race theories? Another one. We just we throw that out there. We don't really know what it means, but it's all we and then we just use that word or that phrase to to gain or, you know, to gain, I, I guess, uh, momentum, I guess, in a, in a political campaign. Right. Well, I think we've seen for a very long time that fear is a much more um, activated emotion than pleasure or um, that, like uh, uh, someone developing an affinity for something. So, for example, if we can give a label to our opponent and make people afraid of them, um, we're much more likely to win than if we try to characterize ourselves as a candidate as something positive. But this goes back, this is a long legacy in American history. I think everybody can probably remember um, some of the triggers that were put out there during the Vietnam War, for example, that really divided people. Um, we also saw um, a, a, a lot of triggers in the 80s where um, there were people running on uh, either a law and order platform or a platform that where our entire country was going to go into chaos. Um, so I think we've seen those kind of triggers, and I think where people become frustrated by them is that they are actually effective. And so people who are running for office tend to use them. And I think you're right. Those are exactly the triggers that we're, we're seeing right now. 
Yeah, the, and then on top of that, the thing that we haven't had, except for maybe the last 15 years, and then even after that, that I think it just it's growing and growing, is social media. Like the social media, can you can you explain maybe how much uh, how much this is exemplified, stuff like that, with with social media, Twitter, uh, uh, Facebook, and, and honestly, like Instagram's the same way. Yeah. Well, so part of my research is on civil society and how we have political debates in a democracy, which are essential. We have to have political debates in a democracy for it to work. The problem with social media is that typically in civil society, we have to interact with people who have different opinions from us in a way that is productive. Like if you're sitting at a bar or a restaurant or at a family meal and politics comes up, you have to have conversations with people who disagree with you, and those tend to be more civil. I know people have bad memories of political conversations at the dinner table, but they, they tend to be more civil than what happens on social media, where we have echo chambers develop, where people are only listening to people who are like them. And I think that that can be bad for a democracy. It's bad for a democracy if we're not interacting with people with different views from us. And so I think there are many positive aspects of social media for a democracy in terms of including more people that hadn't been included before. Um, but I also think that it has that negative impact of people only talking to people who have the same viewpoint as them. And then I think when we have those echo chambers, we end up with these kinds of uh, building of momentum of bad ideas that tend to be um, eroded away in a more pluralist or a more mixed democratic conversation. All right, Tim, we're getting a call here. Eric from Sparta is calling in. He calls uh, He calls most days and uh, definitely not in my echo chamber and. Um, I like to introduce first-time guests to Eric every once in a while. Eric, go ahead. You're on the air. Uh, do you have any idea why MSNBC was kicked out of that Rittenhouse uh, trial in uh, Kenosha? That's that's what you got, Eric, for our political science guest. For now, okay. Um, yes, I, I have. I have no idea. I saw one um, line. Honestly, I, I'll just. I saw one line. Apparently, a reporter for MSNBC followed. And I don't know if this is true, but I just I saw it quick before the show. Followed um, the juror van, so maybe they wanted to go. Uh, I don't know if you can interview. I don't know how stuff like that works. You probably can't interview jurors, right? They can't even look at social yeah, media at this well, point. I think part of the sequester. Yeah. So, um, but, I, but I think it is interesting when people. Um, I think I'll just take the question also as a media bias question, which I think a lot of people are interested in in terms of how particularly cable news outlets cover politics. Um, One of the things I always remind my students is our media has never been non-biased. I mean, from the very earliest days of newspapers, newspapers were literally owned by the political parties, which is why you have some cities that still call their newspaper the Democrat uh, or the Republican. Um, But uh, I think what happens is, because of that echo chamber, whenever you have media that proliferates or becomes so all-consuming that people can pick and choose what they see, the free market is going to give us what we want. So we end up with the media that we demand as opposed to the media that maybe we need. And so I think we're all participants in the reason why we find so much bias, you know, so to speak, in the media. Yeah, we get, and it's outrage media, right? Like whatever we can get you to be outraged about if it's msnbc it's we're still i think we're still latched on trump a little bit and if it's fox like we could just we'll go to the border and we'll get you mad about that or um the 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 socialist agenda of joe biden who's the like most republican democrat president i've ever seen 
Um, Tim Dale's joining us. Uh, we're, 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 we haven't gotten into the, um, the numbers in the 2020 presidential. We got about two minutes here, Tim, like let's break down this a little bit. The, you, you guys, you put out, you put out a, a release that said, uh, 68% of students voted in the presidential election. Um, and I, I said incorrectly at the beginning of the show that that was the most ever. We actually don't know if that was the most ever. 68% now I look at it, but probably not, probably not the most ever. Well, it, it certainly is up there. If it's not the most ever, it's very close. It was okay. better than it was in 2012, and it's better than it is nationally among college students. So it's an impressive number and certainly a higher number than we see in the broader uh, population. Um, yeah, sixty-eight percent, and then you know, seventy-seven and a half percent of UWL students registered to vote, and eighty-seven percent of that seventy-seven percent actually voted. Is eighty? Well, it's eighty-eight percent. Eighty-eight percent of registered voters voting. That's that seems like a great percentage. Yeah, it's a great percentage, and I think um, one of the things we find at UWL, and I think at some other Wisconsin campuses, although I'll brag about UWL because I think we're better, but. Um, I think students really understand that it matters who wins elections, and I think that really predicts voter turnout to a large degree is our people understanding that the outcome matters. And so we had this confluence of events that were happening in the last kind of four years. Um, I said before that our students sometimes come in and say they don't know the difference between Republicans and Democrats. That's definitely not true right now, and that definitely pushes turnout. Yeah, and we can get into this a little bit, just the idea that we had, hey, great voter turnout among UWL students and among the nation, right, we had the most voter turnout in the 2020 presidential election than ever before by far, is by far correct? Yeah. And yep. and we can get into why that happened. And then I want to get into, we got to take a break, but I want to get into, uh, you know, and, and we can even tie this into, you know, when you're watching Fox or MSNBC or whatever national news, that not probably not being the most important news of the day when maybe you should pay, be paying attention to uh, what your local if you if you want to just talk politics, what your local governments are doing, uh, well, well, let's, let's just think about it, Tim. We're going to try to tie that all in. Um, all right, I got to take a break. Scott's comment coming up. Brad doing the news. We'll be back with Tim Dale, UW Lacrosse political science professor, and we'll maybe get some of your uh, Notre Dame bias. We'll just see. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914. If you got questions, we got a political science professor on. It's going to be back-to-back days, I believe. I think Chergosky's coming on tomorrow. Do you guys duel, like, as political science professors at UWL? Do you guys have, like, any, like, trivia? Or who's the better political science professor at UWL between you and Chergosky, yeah, Well, Tim? it's definitely Chergosky. Um, <laughs> he is, uh, yeah, he, he's a superstar. I, I'm a political philosopher, so I get to talk about Aristotle and Plato and Machiavelli all the time. Um, he's on the front lines doing the political science research that gives us opinion polls and media analysis. So he's definitely the superstar, um, but I was here before him, so I have seniority. So he still um, has to act like my jokes are funny, at least for a while. <laughs> yeah, when you were talking earlier, and, and, and again, I should introduce you more more appropriately, Tim Dale at UWL. He's been there since 2012, and uh, he, I think you got your doctorate at, at Notre Dame or your master's or something? I did, yep. I so, went to Marquette for undergraduate and then Notre Dame for my PhD. So we can give him crap for that if you want. But, uh, you know, and, and we were, when, when it comes to uh, talking about politics, 
Um, we were getting into this. Uh, I, I lost my train of thought, so I'm moving on. So what are we were talking about? <laughs> we were we were starting to dive down into this MSNBC versus Fox and 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 these news. I always tell people to stop watching TV news because it's not really going to do any. But it, it also stop talking about TV news during a local show because it's not also not doing us any good. So let's reel it in, Tim, into uh, state politics. We we've talked about we've talked about this quite a bit. The dysfunction in our Wisconsin state legislature. Um, have you ever seen it this bad? Um, I think it probably has been this bad before. I haven't seen it this bad in a while. Um, but I I, I I was in Wisconsin back in the Tommy Thompson days, and um, he was certainly not a political lightweight, and he did not make a lot of friends with Democrats, although he tended to work pretty well with Democrats. And I think that what we're seeing right now is a lot of animosity that has developed that we just haven't seen. I mean, you know, Tommy Thompson is now the president of the UW system. Yeah, I was going to say, um, be careful. Don't get fired, Tim. Don't get fired. Right. No, no. I actually, (laughs) I think it's part of my guaranteed contract I get to talk about Tommy Thompson. But um, I think he's actually doing an excellent job, so I'm not in trouble. But um, when I when I talk to Tommy and others, I think part of what is so frustrating is that we're not breaking through to kind of common sense solutions. We're getting a lot of partisan, what seems like partisan posture, and I think that that's what is frustrating a lot of people about politics. As far as our state politics go, I can say that what is interesting about Wisconsin is that we have a divided politics, even among the people who are voting. So the reason we have a Democratic governor and a Republican legislature is the same reason that, uh, you know, we have a Wisconsin that voted for Trump and then voted for Joe Biden, is that we have voters that tend to be independent and vote for the candidate. And so we end up with a politics that looks as chaotic as that might seem from the outside, but really is a result of fairly independent voters. Yeah, they're they're butting their heads together. They're, essentially, I always say nothing gets done, but nothing gets done because we're trying to do we're trying to walk the line down the middle, and therefore we can't do anything one way or the other. Right, right, and I think it's partly because our system of government in the United States is designed to have fighting in government. So there are other ways of setting up a democracy, and many other countries around the world do this, where one party is in control of government completely. Um, and that's kind of what it means to win an election. In the United States, you would have multiple parties. I mean, we see this at the state and the national level that are being contro- that are controlling government at one time. So people outside the United States kind of wonder and they ask political scientists, how in the world does the United States function when you have politics that are so divided? And my only answer was that I think the people who designed our politics wanted us to be divided. So for better or for worse, uh, I think this is actually by design that we are dysfunctional. And you say fighting. When you say fighting, can you also mean debating, or do you just literally, not literally fighting, but do you mean just kind of blowharding your your views, but not actually? Because well, a lot of times it doesn't seem like we're accomplishing a ton. Uh, we did right, just pass well, a trillion-dollar infrastructure bill, though. So, Right. Well, d- debating oftentimes looks like fighting. There was a time early in American history, though, where members of Congress actually fought each other on the floor of the House of Representatives. Uh, with one with a fire poker and the other defending himself with a walking stick. So we've seen in American history coming to blows, and we're not quite there yet. <laughs> but um, There definitely yeah, would be walking sticks all over the Senate if they were fighting with each other. That probably they'd actually take those at the door um, <laughs> <laughs> with the metal detectors. Uh, so I think that uh, one of the things that, that you ask, I think, is a, a really good question. is about how do we work together. And I think people tend to reward elected representatives who work 
force solutions. Uh, but then they also are rewarded when they fight the good fight. And so we have this weird situation where we want our representatives to fight for what they believe in, but we also want them to compromise. And I think it really is up to voters to decide what they want from their elected officials. And if they want them to fight the good fight, they're not going to get a lot of compromises. Yeah, I mean, what do you think of when the state legislature uh, brings in Ted Nugent and we're going to we're going to do this big sideshow about how we're going to promote crane hunting? And it's like, really, we're going to do in my head. I'm like, really, we're going to do hunting laws and and gun laws and how we need to hunt cranes. And we're going to bring in Ted Nugent, of all people, and promote this as a big thing when uh, I feel like there's so many other things that our legislature needs to be working on right now in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, really one of the things that we see uh, everybody elected to office is doing, is that there's this constant theater of politics. Um, One of the things we talk about in political science is the constant campaign, the forever campaign, that there's never a time that a politician is not running for office. And it kind of sets us up for a frustrating situation where we want substance from our elected representatives, but they're always giving us what they think we want to hear during a campaign. Uh, what I can say is that every time there's a Senate race, we get less of that because terms in the Senate are longer. Um, the, the, the more representative part of the legislature, um, both the state legislature and the national legislature, because those elections happen so often, you end up with these situations where you have Ted Nugent or some other thing happening that's meant to draw headlines and attention um, and may not necessarily result in legislation. We're speaking with Tim Dale. He's a UW lacrosse political science professor. Been doing that at UWL since 2012. Um, yeah, dude. Also, when when it comes to the the Wisconsin, you know, just the way we vote and the the way government functions in Wisconsin, do also maybe the politicians have no idea what the ter- what is going to happen with a, a, any particular election? Because uh, on one side we have two senators and they couldn't be more different, right? We have Tammy Baldwin and Ron Johnson. I, I feel like they couldn't. There's very if one of them was like a 30 year old, then they would be complete opposites. Yeah, exactly. I actually have um, news outlets uh, calling constantly during an election year, asking what the hell is going on in Wisconsin. Um, and so Reuters, in particular, called me after that. A Baldwin was elected and said, how is it that you just elected Ron Johnson and, and Tammy Baldwin? And I think that, um, that another I, before 2012, I was at UW-Green Bay, and um, my favorite example from Wisconsin is that Brown County voted for George W. Bush by eight points in 2008, and then Barack Obama by eight points in 2012. So it was a 16-point swing. Um, and I think that's what what explains it, is that there are people who would vote for Donald Trump for president and Tammy Baldwin for Senate, or Ron Johnson for Senate and, and Joe Biden for president. People are voting candidates more than they're voting along party lines, particularly for those substantial voters in the middle that are really determining elections. Okay, tell me if this is a better answer. Not that I'm better than you, but uh, we we elect Ron Johnson and Tammy Baldwin based on when... Who else was on the ticket? I don't exactly know. I, I don't remember when, who, who else was on the ticket when Ron Jay was running or Tammy B, but probably one of those, uh, there was maybe a president on the, on the ballot, or maybe there wasn't a president, and that's how that happens? Yeah, well, so we've actually now seen them each elected in different scenarios because we have them doing six-year terms. Yep. So 
Johnson has been on the ballot in a midterm election when there wasn't a president on the ballot and when the president was on the ballot. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to look up the percentage that the candidate won by in the Senate from the different party compared to the presidential candidate. And what we see is that Ron Johnson outperforms Republicans at, you know, when he runs. And Tammy Baldwin outperformed Democrats. And so you get this, this interesting look at the voters, the percentage of voters that are deciding the election by who is splitting their ballots. And so I think one of the interesting things about Wisconsin politics that I can tell you as a political scientist is that the people who split their ballots are deciding the election. They are voting for one candidate for one party for one office and another party for another office. They're deciding the election in Wisconsin. It's, yeah, and it's funny how that works because those two are, are both on, I would say Tammy Baldwin's pretty far left, wouldn't you? Yes, absolutely. And clearly yes, Ron Johnson has felt, I think Ron Johnson has fallen off the cliff to the right a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but also, and then, and then you get into our third congressional district. Uh, Ron Kind has held the thing for 13 terms, and, and he's yep. neither here nor there. Right. And I think that's where I think a lot of people, well, Ron Johnson's success is in part because he is, uh, tends to be a more moderate Democrat, and I think people vote for him across the aisle. Uh, quite no, a bit. no, you said Ron Johnson. Did you mean Ron Kind? Oh, sorry. I mean Ron Kind. Yeah, sorry. You just, called, Kine, you just yeah. called Ron Johnson a moderate Democrat. I'm going to save right. that clip and right. use it every day. Yeah, that's the clip. That's the clip to run with. <laughs> um, but, but that's where I think a lot of people don't understand that most voters are more moderate than we think. If we only listen to cable news, we start to believe that America is completely divided. It's just not true. The average voter in Wisconsin is open to voting for any party, any representative with good ideas. And I think we get so entrenched in the only voices we hear are partisan voices that it, from a political scientist will remind everyone that 30% of American voters, a third, are undecided, are undeclared, are, are not identifying with one party or the other. So if you think that the partisan representatives are, are being elected by partisan people, it's just not true. They're being elected by people who are independent voters. And I think that's the part that I would, in, in certain times, those are the voters that are, are really the ones who are trying to be recruited. Right now, I think we get the base voters that are really being targeted. Uh, do you see maybe down the road, I don't I don't think it's going to happen here in the next presidential election, but maybe the one after that, we're just going to have like The Rock and Taylor Swift or something, just like, like popular people. And they're going to win elections because... They're just, you know, figureheads of, you know, because obviously Trump, I think Trump did that a little bit because obviously he's a bit of a celebrity. But do you, do you I don't know, do you even think about that stuff? Well, you probably didn't take the rock by accident, but just in case you did, I know that there was a major effort on the part of Democrats to try to get the rock to run. So it's not even a joke. Uh, when was um, it? When? Like next election? This last, yeah, this last cycle. Oh, the last not necessarily for president, but... Is it's, The Rock uh, even a Democrat? I don't even know if he's a Democrat. Well, I don't know. But <laughs> that's the thing. is that People didn't know what Trump was until he ran. He donated to the Clintons. <laughs> so I, I don't think you need to declare until you're actually running. Um, but I think you're right. I think that there is a celebrity to politics. I mean, wh- where these candidates came from... I don't think we should act like Barack Obama was a political insider. He was a junior senator from in, uh, Illinois. So it wasn't like Obama was this established party force uh, when he ran. Um, and then we go, it, this also isn't new. So when Ronald Reagan ran for, for governor and then president, he was not a career politician. He's an actor. 
So we, we definitely do have a history of parties really looking for who is going to capture the imagination of people. You know, JFK beating Nixon um, was really a celebrity uh, photo contest. Um, and so I think that we have a history of that in the United States, and I could see the parties continuing that going forward. Who's going to have the better, more interesting candidate? Yeah, and you talk about Ron Johnson being one side, Tammy Baldwin being on the other side. Nobody knows what the heck's going on with Wisconsin. Um, and then you just, I mean, you could go all over the political landscape. Barack Obama, a black dude who's got a, a, a unique way of talking, right? Like, then maybe that's what yeah. won it for him, right? And then you come back a couple of years later, uh, we've got a, a white Jew named Bernie Sanders, an old white Jew who who also has a unique way of talking, but also had a platform that, that maybe, uh, you know, spoke to a lot of people. But how does that guy get popular, you know? Right. Well, I have an anecdote, and I won't name his name, but a friend of mine from a long time ago who lives in the uh, Milwaukee suburb voted for George W. Bush twice, Barack Obama twice, and then Donald Trump. <laughs> so I think you, you just try to wrap your mind, I think, a partisan around that person, and you get into trouble trying to understand what the motivation was, except that it's a person that I know who voted that way. And I'm sure your listeners either themselves or know people who make decisions like that. So I think that's an important reminder as we think about politics is who is actually voting and how are they making their decisions. Uh, we're speaking with Tim Dale, UW lacrosse political science professor. I brought him on initially to talk about how 70% of UWL students voted in the presidential election. And um, that that's all great, Tim. But like the, the important thing here would be the not the presidential election. All these other elections um, you know, the mayor, the mayoral race we had just had the, like hardly any people in the cross voted for it. This is this seems like a, it's it, like important. This is we, we need to get voter turnout uh, up somehow. But nobody knows how to do that either. Solve that one, Tim. Right. Well, and that's a huge problem in, in the United States in terms of voting turnout. We actually have one of the lowest voting voting turnout overall among all democracies in the world. And that is just a staggering fact, considering how much we love democracy and are founded on that principle. And when we're the first modern democracies, it's not the first. Um, and so part of the problem is that people don't see why these local races matter. And we have so many elections that people get tired of all of these elections. So one possible solution would be to bring our elections together so we're not voting in different elections. Um, having it be a national holiday on a Saturday once every two years, and all offices are elected on that day. Um, that is a, a solution that political scientists tend to support because we can definitely control and predict turnout when you have these isolated events. But when you have elections in April and May and February and August, it becomes really confusing for voters, and particularly for young voters. I mean, we ask about college turnout is super low is because it's hard enough for them to pay attention with everything else going on to the national scene. Um, but then when it comes to local government, I think we have that big question about what is it even, why does it even matter? And we know it does matter, but it's not always easy to convince voters of that. Should we just do what North Korea does and make you vote? And if you don't vote, we throw you in the ocean? Well, I actually would probably be in favor of what Australia does, which is that they tax people who don't vote at a higher rate. And so if you don't go to the polls, you actually have to pay higher taxes. Um, the idea there, of course, is that you have an incentive to vote. Um, but that was actually one of the things that America's founded on, is this idea that even voting itself shouldn't be mandatory. And so we end up with a, this irony of the 
greatest democracy in the world having voter turnout that really is embarrassing because people would rather just not be involved in politics and say, let someone else do it. Well, instead of taxing people to vote, why don't we pay them to vote? We don't have to tell them which way to vote, but we could pay them to vote. Sure, yeah. I mean, we just have a $20 bill at the election site. Um, might get a lot more turnout that way. Um, one of the things, though, I think you do see some of the controversy right now about how easy it is to vote. Um, that's become much more politicized in the last several years than it has been before. Um, so one of the things that we would increase turnout by doing is making voting easier. So you said pay people to vote, but if you had a national holiday where people were actually able to take off of work and still get paid or even on a weekend, you would see a lot more voting turnout. The cost of voting, so to speak, is high because it's on a Tuesday where people have to plan their whole day around it as opposed to uh, where many other countries do, which is a national election day where people aren't working, banks aren't open. Um, and so that is a kind of a middle ground of we're not necessarily paying people, but we're recognizing how important it is. Yeah. And last election, I got a ballot in the mail, man. That was not in the mail, in the mail, comma, man. Uh, that was so yeah. amazing because I was just like, oh, here's the ballot. I can kind of study it. I can go on the Internet and figure out like because a lot of those, the, the, you know, the down ballot people. I'm like, who is yeah. who is this? And, you know, sometimes yeah. I don't even vote like uh, Houston. Uh, school board. I wasn't even voting on that, A, because there's no information, B, because I don't have a kid in school at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, even that isn't the smartest thing to do. Yeah. And I think you're right. It really is about information, and it's so hard to get information about candidates. I just think about the mayoral race and how many big issues were at stake. But for college students, what their lives were like kind of day to day, it was very hard for them to connect their relevance to a mayor's race which it was different for a presidential race where they could really see this big picture. The mayor's race wasn't for a lack of information. I think we had 15 debates. They were all on on Facebook Live. Yeah, information (laughs) is not the same thing as actually being tuned in to those debates. Well, those those debates, too, I mean, you can sit there and watch them. Honestly, they they get after a while, they get kind of boring. We're going to have to do that differently next time. Um, and then yeah. for me, it's not, I don't want to watch the video as I kind of want to read. I'd rather read the quotes than, than watch the quotes. Right. But um, hey, man, right. uh, Tim Dale, UW Lacrosse political science professor. Hey, thanks a lot for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. That's actually going to wrap it up. Thanks again to Tim Dale. Just kind of going all over. A little bit of theory, which is kind of his expertise anyway. Just kind of figuring stuff out.